0: Good morning, friends. Let's pray. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It has been said that few passages summarize Christian ethics or integrity more succinctly than the words from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. It could also be said that few passages are more misunderstood. There are several recognizable phrases in this passage, and no doubt you've heard these three. Turn the other cheek, go the second mile, love your enemies. People who have never set foot inside a church are familiar with these, but what do they mean and how do they apply to our lives today, 2,000 years after they were spoken by Jesus? Well, though Jesus is referring to laws and customs that were specific to his culture, His words do apply to where we live today in the 21st century because the desire for revenge is as much an issue for us today as it was for those living in the first century. When someone does you wrong, when someone takes advantage of you or bullies you, you want to get even. As we begin, I want to begin by taking a closer look at the statements Jesus made that are sometimes misinterpreted, and this will help put these words in their proper perspective a little bit later. Well, first of all, Jesus said in verse 39, Do not resist an evil person. Does this mean that we should become completely passive and let other people walk all over us, or that we should do nothing to protect our lives or the lives of our children, or that we should never stand up for our rights? Well, the answer to that is, of course not. I mean, just think, when Jesus drove the money changes out of the temple, he wasn't being passive. When Paul demanded his rights as a Roman citizen after being without a trial in Acts 16 he wasn't being passive and when Jesus and Paul encourage believers to confront those who sin uh, who, who sin in order to help them find forgiveness they weren't encouraging us to be passive either in this context the word resist means retaliate he's talking about revenge not self-preservation Jesus isn't telling us to be weak and passive He's just telling us, don't be vindictive. Second, Jesus said in verse 42, Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. But does this mean that a Christian banker should never refuse a loan application, no matter how bad a person's credit report looks? Does this mean you have to loan money to someone again and again, even if you know they won't make an effort to pay it back? Or that every time you're approached by a panhandler on the street that you have to give them your money? No, because this commandment doesn't relieve us of our obligation to manage our resources responsibly. It's our responsibility to practice generosity, but it's also our responsibility to practice discernment. And third, Jesus also said in verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, this sounds impossible, but it's not. Jesus would never command us to do something that we aren't capable of. He didn't command us to be all-powerful or to be all-knowing. I mean, these things are certainly beyond our grasp. But he did tell us to be perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Now, the Greek word for perfect is teleos. It means to reach an intended end or completion. In other words, in the Bible, it is translated mature. In other words, a person is telios if he or she fulfills the purpose for which they were created. In the context, Jesus is saying you can be perfect. You can fulfill your purpose in life. You can demonstrate your maturity, your integrity, by loving your enemies. And we are never more like God than when we love those who don't love us. Paul said in Romans 5, eight, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in this that as we were still yet sinners, <clears throat> Christ died for us. John, in 1 John 4:19 says, We love because he first loved us. Being perfect, in the context that Jesus mentions it here, isn't attained through sinless perfection, because that isn't possible. The kind of perfection Jesus is referring to here is being perfect in love, loving your enemies. Well, now that we've gotten through the misinterpretations, let's turn to four things we can do to show integrity in action. First of all, don't respond to insults. Verse 39, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Jesus isn't talking about, Jesus is talking about more than physical violence because he specifies the right cheek. The only way a right-handed person can hit you on the right cheek is with the back of their hand. According to rabbinic law, hitting a man with the back of your hand was twice as insulting as hitting a man with the palm of your hand. Jesus said that when that happens, don't return the insult. Don't retaliate. Jesus' point is not that we should let people physically abuse us. His point is that we should refrain from trying to get even when someone insults us. For virtually all of us, the latter happens much more often than the former. With the exception of a couple of disagreements early on in life, I've never been hit on the face by another person. But I have been insulted more times than I care to remember. And sad to say more times than I care to admit, I have gone out of my way to return the insult. Some of you who watch Seinfeld, May remember once that uh, George Costanza was insulted by a coworker during an office meeting. A few days later, he thought of the ideal comeback for the insult, and so he started making plans to ambush his coworker in another meeting and spring the insult on him. Except the coworker resigned his job and started working for a company in Ohio. So, well, you know how it goes. George flew to Ohio, orchestrated a meeting with the company's brass, and set the stage to get even. Needless to say, his plan didn't work, because when George seized the opportunity to deliver his insult, his former co-worker came back with an even snappier insult, and once again everyone laughed at George. Now, it's funny when George Costanza does it, but how many times have you fumed and fretted over an insult, playing and replaying in your mind, thinking about what you should have said or what you wish you had said? It never does any good, does it? It never makes you feel better. It never resolves the problem. It never takes away the hurt. In fact, the longer you hold on to the idea of retaliation, the more the insult hurts. A number of years ago, when Tiger Woods won the Masters Tournament, Fuzzy Zeller responded with some kind of a mean racist remark, remarks that he intended to be funny, but were only mean-spirited. Fuzzy received a great deal of well-deserved criticism for his comments. But Tiger Wood's response was quote, we all miss all make mistakes, and it's time to move on. End of quote. Now Tiger could have returned the insult, the media would have loved it, but he refused to retaliate. Instead he said Let's move on. When you're insulted, as Solomon said in Proverbs twelve sixteen, a prudent man overlooks an insult. Peter says in his first book chapter three verse nine. Repay evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. When you're insulted, you can waste your energy thinking of ways to get even, or you can choose the alternative to revenge. You can be perfect instead. You can be like your Heavenly Father. You can love your enemies. A second do more than is required of you to make things right. Verse 40 says, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. In those days, a man typically wore an inner garment, a tunic, which was similar to a shirt, and an outer garment, a cloak, which was similar to a coat. A man would probably own more than one tunic, but only one cloak. Also, a man's cloak was used as a blanket when he slept. Therefore, in a legal dispute, a creditor could sue a man for his tunic, but not his cloak. This was an Old Testament law. Exodus 22, verses 26 and 27 say, If you take your neighbor's coat as a pledge, return it to him by sunset. Because his cloak is the only covering he has for his body, what else will he sleep in? The only way a man could take your tunic from you was if you had pledged your tunic as security for a debt, and then hadn't paid the debt. So let's make sure we read the words of Jesus correctly. He's saying, if you have a debt that you haven't paid and get sued as a result, do more than is legally required of you to make the debt right. Now, ideally, a suit should never be necessary. A man would pledge his tunic as a security on a debt and then pay the debt when it came due, and the lien on his tunic would be released. But Jesus said, if you mess up that process and someone has to sue you to get what they have coming to them, then you go out of your way to make it right. Do more than is required of you. In order to do this, you have to be willing to admit that you are wrong, and you have to be willing to make restitution. That was the spirit Zacchaeus showed when he became a devoted follower, when he said to Jesus, If I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. We need to follow Zacchaeus' example. When we offend someone and find ourselves to be in a wrong, We need to do more than is required to make things right. You know, this tends to disarm your enemies. I read about a man in the software business who borrowed $90,000 from three individuals in 1986 to fund his new company. They expected to get their money back within a year, but the business didn't take off like they thought it would, and they lost their money. In 1992, the investors sued the man and won a judgment against him. He didn't have the money to pay them back, so their lawsuit was futile until 1994 when he sold his company. And according to the terms of the judgment, he had to pay each investor about $40,000. But this man had made a lot of money when he sold his company, so he gave each investor back a check for more than $80,000. In your situation, think of those who may have something against you. It may not be about money, it may be about something you said or something you did. Maybe you took credit for something at work that you didn't deserve to take credit for. Maybe you imposed on someone's time and took advantage of their kindness. Maybe you spread gossip about someone and tried to ruin their reputation. If you have wronged anyone, Jesus challenges you to make full restitution and then some. Do more than is required of you. This, of course, is a humbling experience. It's much easier to love someone who has wronged you than it is to humble yourself before someone you have wronged, especially if you know that they don't like you. It's not easy, but it's holy. In doing so, you become more like your Heavenly Father. Third, treat mistreaters with with kindness. Verse 41 says, If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, everyone knows that little phrase, go the second mile. Jesus spoke these words in reference to a common custom in Roman-occupied lands. Roman law gave a soldier the right to force civilians to carry his pack one mile. Needless to say, this was a great inconvenience. Imagine being in a hurry and forced to drop everything to carry a soldier's pack for one mile. Jesus told his followers, when that happens, instead of just walking one mile, walk. There's no greater way to show God's love than to be kind to someone who hasn't treated you with kindness. If you have a job, I can guarantee you that you'll have an opportunity to put this principle into practice. Your boss may try to bully you or sabotage your success or take the credit for work you've done, and you may be tempted to try to get by by doing the bare minimum. I've seen many employees who are so resentful of their employers that they have gone to great lengths to calculate the very least they have to do in order to prevent getting fired and that is all that they do Now, your boss may be a bully and the company you work for may be oppressive and insensitive and at times it may seem that they exist only to uh, oppress you that's probably not the case but it may seem that way when it happens go the extra mile go out of the way to treat them with kindness if they demand an extra hour Try giving them two. But there's a trick to it. In order to get the full effect, you need to do it cheerfully, enthusiastically. Will your boss notice? Maybe, maybe not. When you treat a mistreater with kindness, it may not change them, but it will change you. And in so doing, it makes you like your Heavenly Father. And finally, number four, don't show favorites. Verse 42. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus included this verse along with others that talk about how we should treat our enemies. He did it because this is the context in which we need to hear it. Most of us are more than willing to give something to our friends or to loan something to someone we like, but that's not enough. Jesus is saying, don't be generous only with your friends but help everyone you can. Mark McCormick, who's the author of What They Don't Teach You in Harvard Business School, once said, quote, All things being equal, people buy from friends. All things being unequal, people still buy from friends. Therefore, make friends. End of quote. That's the way it is in the business world most of the time. But Jesus is challenging his followers to go beyond that attitude to be generous with people we like as well as those we don't like. This principle applies to more than money. It applies to how you treat people in every area of life. You may find at times that you have the opportunity to help someone who isn't part of your little clique, your little holy huddle. Help them anyway. You may have the chance to help someone who has been unfriendly to you in the past. Help them anyway. Don't withhold your generosity from those who need it help them when you can. Remember, Jesus isn't commanding us to be irresponsible with our resources. He's commanding us not to be stingy, not to hold back when it is within our power to help. Jesus is telling us to be generous even to those who may not fully appreciate our generosity. In doing so, we become perfect. We become like our Heavenly Father. Jesus summarized this teaching in verses 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. The phrase, sons of your Father, is an idiom. It means, that you may be like your Father in heaven. In other words, we are never more like our Father than when we love those who don't love us. When we refuse to retaliate, even if, it's the, other, if, even if the other person is wrong when we seek to make restitution for our own wrongs, when we respond to mistreatment with kindness, when we extend our generosity to all who need it. That's how we show His love. That's how we become perfect, like our Heavenly Father is perfect. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.